Welcome to the Sweet Run Podcast, your source for all things running and travel in super fun destinations around the world. We're your hosts, Gerald Mitchell and Natalie Mitchell. Welcome to episode 36 of the Sweet Run Podcast. And this week, we are so happy to welcome to the show, Jordan Marie Brings Three White Horses Daniel. Jordan is a pro runner for Rabbit, and she's also on the ultra running, marathon, and trail team. Jordan is founder of Rising Hearts, and she uses her love for running and its deep cultural roots to highlight her advocacy for indigenous people. And in this conversation, we talk about so many topics and so many things that Jordan is doing to make a difference in the world. And you are gonna be moved by her passion and everything that she's doing. And then we talk about where she lives in Los Angeles. And she gives us her recommendations on where she likes to go for a run, where she likes to dine out, and so many other wonderful tidbits this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker and Vacation Races. Inside Tracker allows you to find out what in the world is going on inside your body. Use the code SWEETRUN to take 25% off of anything that they offer. And we love the Essentials Plan, which is geared especially for runners. It's $189. It's super easy, and you can get the results back and find out everything that you need to know about what's going on inside your body and how it can help your training and help you to become a better, more efficient runner. So definitely take advantage of this offer. We are excited to welcome a new sponsor to the Sweet Run Podcast, Vacation Races. Vacation Races has over a dozen national park races to choose from with distances ranging from 5Ks and half marathons to 50 and 100 mile ultra marathons. So this weekend, tomorrow, Josh and I are going to be running the Glacier Half Marathon, and it was recently voted Montana's best half marathon by Race Raves Runners. So the race takes place just outside Glacier National Park, and it is easily, we've heard, one of the most scenic courses in the National Park Half Marathon series. So if you enjoy running, which I know you do because you're listening to this show, and you're up for a bit of a challenge, this might be the perfect course for you. So tomorrow we're going to run and we climb five miles up to the top of this hill in the race and we're going to be rewarded with stunning panoramic views of lower two medicine lake at the top and then we have a steady downhill descent all the way to the finish line so we are so excited follow us on social media this weekend as we go to one of the most beautiful states in the u.s and run the Glacier Half Marathon. Go to vacationraces.com so you can plan your running vacation. And now, friends, please enjoy our conversation with Jordan Marie Daniel. Jordan Marie Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the Sweet Run Podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Jordan, it's such a treat to have you. I've just been following you for a long time. And, um, I just, I guess it it feels like so simple to say, I love everything that you're doing, but I do. It's just everything that you stand for and what you're doing for the running community and beyond. I'm so inspired. So it's just wonderful. 
I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, it's a lot of work, um, but uh, it's all worth it for community and to hopefully make the future better for our next generation. Yeah. So I'm just so intrigued and drawn in. I, I just wanted to ask, how did this all begin? Because it's so much more than running, you know, just even the little bit that I was able to scratch the surface on. Can you tell us about kind of your journey, particularly as it pertains to running, obviously? Yeah, well, I'm a fourth generation runner, so it's been part of my life and in my blood and family and its tradition and culture. And so running has just always been a very intricate part of my life and has always been a community that I felt really kind of accepted by, like the only community growing up that I really felt accepted by and didn't experience any sort of racism or prejudice or anything like that. It was literally about how you showed up to the starting line and how you finished and um, being part of a team was really incredible, but it kind of just always was by itself, kind of just compartmentalized running as its own thing. And I've known since I was in eighth grade that I wanted to be an advocate for Native peoples. And that meant moving to Washington, D.C. to be a lobbyist, uh, maybe a lawyer, working in the Indian Health Services as hopefully maybe the director or something, because having grown up with my family and community on the res, Lower Brule Sioux Tribe, for the first nine years of my life and being surrounded by that, I saw firsthand experiences of just the mistreatment and the lack of care for Indigenous peoples in our communities. So especially our healthcare system, I really wanted to see that improve the health and wellness of our people and our nations. And so that was kind of like one of my dreams was maybe I'll become the IHS health director one day. And then that dream finally came true where I moved to DC and started working with a nonprofit and just started doing all of this incredible work and meeting incredible mentors and just having all of these opportunities there and like saying yes to everything. And at the same time, like advocacy always stayed separate from running. Running was my outlet and my way to disconnect from, you know, the world and work and to be able to focus back on myself and to carry on tradition. But everything changed in 2016 where Standing Rock youth, like over 20 of them, ran over 2,000 miles from Standing Rock to Washington, D.C. to oppose the Dakota Access Pipeline and hand deliver a petition to President Barack Obama. When I saw them running for this reason and for this purpose, it just gave me that motivation and that level of accountability as being an advocate, as being an Indigenous woman and hopefully, you know, a good future ancestor one day and being a good relative that I need to hold myself more accountable and, and I need to do more. So then I started trying to create a presence on social media, on Instagram and documenting the youth and really trying to have their voices be centered and trying to create opportunities to share what is happening in our community. So I created a blog and it was called Native NDC and now it's called Native Perspective. And I try and do deep dives of these issues that are happening in our communities, but also topics of success that's happening in our communities. And so that kind of is like how advocacy with social media intersected and seeing that as a really powerful platform for our voices to be seen and to be heard and for us to be able to control our own narrative against all the stereotypes that's out there about Indigenous peoples. So as as uh, tiring as social media can get, it's a, a, such a powerful tool for us to be able to have control of that narrative and to be able to uplift what is happening in our communities. And so that's when I started seeing the importance of running to carry a message and to be able to tell a story. I had participated in prayer runs. I had um, learned about other prayer runs that were happening across the United States, you know, protect Bears Ears, protect Oak Flat, um, and just many across the communities. 
And I just started seeing a big value and importance and purpose within that and what that means. And so it took a few years, but then in 2019 with the Boston Marathon and feeling like this epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women wasn't getting the visibility after organizing marches, after organizing prayer vigils, after organizing panels to discuss this issue and feeling like no one cared, I was like, well, running is the only thing I know how to do. I'm just going to create this intentional space to give back to them, to remember them, to honor them and say a prayer for them. And so it was 26 miles for 26 missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And the power of social media, um, everything changed once I, I posted about it and shared. So that's how that's how running has intersected with advocacy now. It took a long time and it was kind of like a light bulb moment of like, I can't believe I hadn't done this before of using this platform. That's really how it all came about and something that I've always been continuing doing ever since. I was just kind of taking in everything you said. First, I find it so interesting being a citizen of America, right? And we all know that Indigenous people were here first. And yet, I mean, it really is mind boggling to me that it's not being represented in that way. I feel like, you know, I mean, we think yeah. the majority of all of Americans feel that way. And it's kind of like, here we are in 2021 and there's still so much work to be done to have indigenous people's voices heard. I feel like that was the first thing that came to my mind when I heard your story. And I've been following what you've been doing with, you know, the missing indigenous women being murdered and, you know, missing first and then found murdered. And it's kind of like, why wasn't, I mean, why wasn't there a light shed on this and how could it just fall through the the cracks. These are human beings. These are women that, that have lives that have meaning, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big injustice that is continuously happening. And I think what you were speaking to even before that is, you know, indigenous peoples are constantly fighting our own erasure every single day on every single platform. So it doesn't help when you have like the movie Pocahontas, her name is actual, actually Matoka, you know, containing a narrative of that's heavily romanticized, but also hyper-sexualizing Native women. I always try to remain positive as possible and try to have a hopeful outlook for everything moving forward. But it does get really frustrating when Indigenous peoples are constantly having to like scream as loud as we can just for our injustices to be included in the conversations of the injustice that we're clearly seeing this last year. It leads to that lack of care that I'll always keep bringing up by the government um, that is failing our communities and failing the families who have lost a loved one, who a loved one has turned up um, deceased, sadly, and having their lives taken and taken from their families. And we, we even give credit to Pocahontas Motoka being the first MMIW, being the first Me Too of these lands. And this, this fight is that much harder for the family. They have three things to come up against you know, they go missing in life, they go missing in the media, and they go missing in the data. And that's what makes this fight three times harder. And it's always off of, it's always at the expense of the families too, that are doing whatever possible to find their loved one. They'll go report to law enforcement saying, hey, um, my loved one is missing. Can you please help out? And because there's racism within law enforcement, it comes down to the stereotypes. It comes down to the assumptions of, oh, they're out drinking. Oh, they're out doing this. It's fine. Come back after the weekend. Come back in 48 hours. And those first 48 hours are absolutely critical in finding someone. Um, and so it's the families who are starting these search parties and leading them. And oftentimes it's the families that find their loved ones deceased 
And that's where the government and our law enforcement agencies really fail the families. You know, I'm working with a mom right now who lost her daughter in 2006 from my tribe. And that was the first real MMIW case that I'd ever heard of that was kind of close to home. And also the one that has stuck with me ever since. And luckily I get to work with her mom and trying to help support her in any way, but there's still no justice for, for Victoria Eagleman, which is her daughter. And, um, you know, no justice for the three kids that she left behind who now June, the mom is now taking care of her kids, her grandbabies. And so no one knows about this still. And it kind of makes me frustrated of like, how many more Instagram lives do I need to do? How many more prayer runs do I need to do? How else can I be creative? How else can I organize another virtual run to organize money to donate back into the communities? But also I see a huge important thing of also focusing on intersectionality of our communities. So last year I started dedicating miles, you know, for Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and really trying to show um, indigenous solidarity for our movements as well as how important that this violence is happening, not just on indigenous peoples, but also other communities as well that are being harmed by this violence and racism and, and trying to also give greater awareness of how we can be in our own community, but we can also come together and fight together. And I truly think that that is the key to a transformative future that we need where our bodies are safe and our next generations are safe and can thrive and not just survive. And so much of my work now in this last year is really focusing on how to be intersectional and live that way and to not only be able to center Indigenous voices, but to be, create intersecting pathways for people to hop on and be part of and to learn from each other, to sit, listen, and learn, um, and to um, just cultivate community in a really meaningful way. So that's what my organization, Rising Hearts, has led to, is um, just creating a variety of programs that can bring us together, hopefully create these safe spaces for us to have these conversations, to be able to feel comfortable enough to ask these questions, especially for allies who want to come in and be like, how do I show up? How do I support? What can I be doing? Um, and for them to be listening to voices that can offer that guidance and support it back as well. It's a challenge. It's a rocky road, but you are running it literally and figuratively, you know, in the strongest way possible. Um, and I get it. I, I recently, I kind of sat in, but, you know, on an online conversation and a guy said, oh, was talking about Juneteenth. And, a, you know, a guy said, well, it's, you know, we don't have, why did we have to bring racism into that discussion? And the response was, well, how do you talk about it without it, that coming up, you know? And he goes, the words were, you just tell the history the way it was written. And I'm going, dude. But who was writing it? What was their angle and propaganda for writing it that way? And it was almost laughable. You know, I was like, you know what? It's not the time and place. Let me keep it moving. But I'm so glad you're creating times and spaces to have all of these discussions. And especially the intersectionality is, is, is huge. Um, yeah. Tell us about the organization and how what these spaces look like and what are these running events and, and how do you do all that? Yeah, Rising Hearts has been around since 2016. It, it was born out of the Standing Rock movement and trying to raise awareness about what was going on. So it really kind of started with organizing marches and rallies. And this is one way to help with representation and to have us start the conversation and what can we be doing moving forward together. And so Rising Hearts, just, you know, we helped out 
Rising Hearts really was just devoted to really how can we center Indigenous voices, listening to the teachings of my family, Mitaku Yayasin, we are all related, they're all my relations. Not that we are just Indigenous and care for our own peoples, but we care and protect all living things, all living beings. And so I was like, you know what, I've been raised on kind of like an intersectional, you know, way of living and outlook. Um, and I need to continue doing that and I need to make sure I live that way. How can we have this discussion, Jordan, and not talk about the recent issue that has come up with Trail, Ra- Trail Running Magazine and mm-hmm. that whole story about who was the first trail runner? So would you yeah. tell everyone listening a little brief synopsis about what happened? Yeah, I mean, basically what we saw happening with that article that was written about Chris Goats being the first trail runner who was white. Um, completely erased Indigenous peoples from this conversation of running because running is so part of our culture and our traditions. Um, You know, I'm Lakota, but like running is so ingrained in the Dene Navajo peoples and the Pueblos, um, you know, in our Hopi runners. And we have even ESPN um, series like documenting the history of running, especially with the Hopi high school runners. Um, being undefeated and cross country and track and all of that. And running has always been a form of prayer. It's not just something to compete in. It's not always about, and as I've learned, it's not always about a fast time. And it's not always about that medal or being on a podium. If you're choosing to run with purpose, as I call it, and what are, we have a running collective now called running with purpose is, you know, having that intention and um, running for something higher than yourself. And that has been so part of Indigenous communities across the world. And it's been a way to deliver messages. It's been a way to hunt um, our prey and um, tire them out to exhaustion, like the um, Radamuri and Tarahumara Indigenous runners. Like that was part of their culture. And now they're like, you know, they are and always have been incredible endurance runners because they would run tons of miles to exhaust their prey. Um, And that's how they they killed them. And that's, you know, what they feasted on. And so that article completely erased Indigenous peoples from the running conversation. Um, When you have trails like that are named after John Muir Trail, um, when it really should be called the Numopoyo, as you know, all the local Indigenous communities along the the Pamita Tuyabe, the Eastern Sierras in in California, they have the trail called Numopoyo. And that's the people's trail. And I think that's what it should be renamed to, not John Muir, who had really racist comments about indigenous peoples on his experiences through his hiking. And he's really upheld as like this preservationist, this conservationist, but that's completely erasing indigenous stewardship and um, indigenous histories and connections to those lands. And so when that article came out and I started getting tagged, it was just like a slap in the face, especially seeing my face on their Instagram um, image. That was the cover of me running on Tongva lands, Los Angeles, California. And so it was just like, what, what is going on? Like you did a big spread on me where I talked about this lack of representation and yet you approve stories like this that are really damaging and causing a lot of harm for indigenous peoples. And so I was, I was shocked, but not shocked to see that this happened. Um, but it also led to a conversation that I had with Trail Runner and really proposed a lot of ideas for what accountability looks like. How can we gather um, a really diverse group of voices coming from these communities that have often felt left out and not 
included in the running community where we don't feel safe enough um, or we don't feel included, we don't feel represented, we don't see ourselves in these articles or images um, that we can kind of co-create together and establish some sort of checklist or toolkit that when any writer is proposing to write a story for, you know, a, a magazine like Trailrunner, if you don't check all the boxes, like one of them will be like, are you causing harm to a community that is completely erasing the history? Like something just really obvious like that. And it sucks that it has to like come to that, but creating some sort of checklist that if you don't check all the boxes, you, your story can't be approved. Um, and it has to be rooted in facts and really deep diving into the history um, rather than just trying to glorify someone who became the first trail runner um, in the 60s when we know that these trails have been used for trade routes, have been used for communication, have been used to, you know, for prayer um, and, and used for ceremony. Um, and so I really hope a lot of good comes out of it. It sounds like, you know, it's the typical reaction of, oh my gosh, this just happened. Everything blew up. Uh, we got to do better. We got to apologize. We got to issue a statement. We got to do this. We got to contact the people who've been tagged. Um, and you know, a list of things that they're committed to doing, but now it's just holding them accountable and enforcing that list and making it happen. Um, and, and seeing if this doesn't happen again. Yeah. yeah. And for me, the beauty of where we are in history with the technology and access is frankly, it's a bad look. So I, as an editor, I would want to say, no, check these things first because there are a ton of people who will not wait a second to call us out if we're wrong. And we yeah. just can't keep putting our foot in our mouth. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. Natalie said that to me, because we talked about this before and it didn't register it, but then she was just saying it then. And I, I laughed out loud because I was like, are you kidding? Anyway, I laughed out loud at, at the idea, but anyway. I'm glad that, you know, a state, I mean, I'm glad that a statement was issued and, and all we can do now is take people at their word that, that, you know, the work will continue to be done. And thank you, Jordan, for being a voice and, you know, for educating all of us on so many things that we all need to, but I think, you know, like you were saying, you try to be just super positive work and show the community kind of what, you know, um, your platform is about and, and lead the way. So it's awesome. Um, and I know you were also on the cover of Runner's World along with some other wonderful women in, for the Runner's Alliance back in the fall. And I love seeing that too. It was another way to get your voice out there. So you have been, I've seen you a lot on a lot of different platforms, Jordan. So it's been great to, you know, just see that you get the platform and the, the space that you deserve to tell your story. So that's awesome. Thank you. And same with you. I, I have your, your cover on my mantle with my covers as well, as long as, as with Latoya and Claire Green. Um, yeah, it's just, that's what I want to see. That's what I wanted to see when I was little. And, you know, I had really great role models. I had my mom who was training for the 88 Olympics. I had my grandfather who was training for the Olympics and I had them to look up to, but really it wasn't until years later that I had like Alvina Begay, who is from Navajo Nation is Dene, and she ran for Nike and was with Nike N7. Um, and, you know, I had like Dustin Martin, even though we're like the same age, uh, I, I just had him to look up to, too, because we were in the same conference. We were at college at the same time. Um, but it really does make a difference and an impact to see yourself being represented and to 
just see other, you know, amazing voices of color coming from these communities and coming from these spaces that are giving visibility to what we care most about. And um, I just hope it paints just a better narrative where we are in control of it for, you know, people to learn from us, but also hopefully it leads to incredible, you know, different opportunities for these stories and these issues to be talked about and to be supported in the way that they deserve to be supported. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, you're speaking about me being on the cover, but I'm so happy that, you know, when I got mine in the mail, my runner's world, um, seeing you on the cover was just really incredible, but I hope, you know, people like us are going to normalize this and hopefully it just becomes, you know, secondhand nature. It's like just a normal thing that we get to see now and get to enjoy and celebrate. That's right. And that kids can go to the newsstands and see these magazines or see them in people's homes and look at them. And hopefully that that will encourage them to know that there's other people that look like them that are doing this sport. So I think it's important. You were mentioning that your family are big runners. They were training for the Olympics. Will you tell us a little bit about that? And I want to hear, I know we have to talk about LA and and all of your great recommendations, (laughs) but I want to hear a little bit about your running and where you are right now as well. I know that's kind of a lot, but (laughs) yeah yeah um so I my great grandfather was a long distance runner my grandfather Niall Brings who wrote horses was a middle distance runner and you know was inducted into the hall of fame in South Dakota and something that I didn't find out until he passed away was Billy Mills is the first Native American to win the 10k gold at the Olympics in Tokyo and I, I learned this from him was that my grandfather beat him in a race in the mile. And even though Billy's like, I definitely have never been a sprinter. And we definitely all know that if we watched his movie, um, Running Brave, but that was just something I never knew about. And like, I was like, my grandfather likes to brag, but he never <laughs> talked about that. And I was like, damn him. Like he's humble. Cause that's something that I would totally talk about. Like that one time Bill- I beat Billy Mills. Um, because Billy Mills really was undefeated. So I think that was just really amazing. And just also having Lala Billy, Lala means grandfather. And, um, you know, he kind of took me in and my mom and like adopted us and was like, well, I'm your grandfather now. Um, And so just having him as a role model and a mentor and just being able to volunteer for his organization, Running Strong for American Indians since 2013, you know, just has really helped kind of paint that path of you know, the importance of running and family. And then also my mom being a sprinter and I tried like hell to be a sprinter. (laughs) I just was better at long distance and I hated it. I was like, who wants to run a mile? Who wants to do anything more than the 400? And I tried so hard, but like I, I tanked out by like sixth grade and it was just like, Hey Jordan, you're going to have to go up to the mile and the two mile. (laughs) But it was, it, it, the love of running really began is just, that's how I get to connect with my family. It was like this cool club that I got to be part of. Um, and so it really began as like, I'm running because my family did. And then my whole journey kind of transitioned to, well, now I'm running as a native athlete. Um, hopefully my cousins back home in South Dakota can see this and, you know, maybe feel inspired and maybe want to try running. And then it transformed once I hit college and having an incredible coach, you know, really having a really great philosophy of, you know, taking care of yourself and, you know, helped me admit the dark secret that I had of having an eating disorder, which I had at the end of high school, um, really working with me on that and being really supportive and creating that really safe environment for me, that that's where I finally fell in love with running. It wasn't because my family did it. It wasn't because I had to 
represent something. I truly fell in love with it once I started caring for myself and taking care of my body um, and really enjoying the trails that were in Maine. I went to the University of Maine at Orono, so we had endless trails and that's what I fell in love with. And so now fast forward some years later, it transformed from finding that love of running and doing it for myself and no one else anymore to intersecting running with advocacy and having that intentional purpose of now I have a platform. I'm known as Jordan the runner primarily my whole life. How can I use this time and the space and potentially the resources or the connections to benefit others and to help elevate what's going on in our communities? And so with that first prayer run that happened in Boston, it just gave me a new path and a new um, perspective on how I can be a good runner. And that doesn't always mean to have to be the fastest. I still have my running goals and ambitions to qualify in the marathon Olympic trials the next round. I think that's more attainable having this new purpose and, and being able to share that with those who no longer can be a voice or can speak or who are no longer here anymore. But that's been the story of running for me and my family. And now I, I live in Los Angeles, occupied Tonga lands. Um, and I just really enjoy all of the trails that LA County has to offer. Usually I have to drive like an hour outside to really get into good um, incline running or anything like that. But I, I live near the Griffith trails. So those have always been very accessible and having like Lake Hollywood Reservoir being really accessible. Um, and so that's kind of like what my, my running routes are like. Um, but right now I'm currently nursing an injury. So I am not currently running. Sadly, I'm doing a lot of cross training and stuff, but hopefully we'll be back out there running again soon. Yeah. I hope you heal soon. I know it's can be a bummer to be injured, but you have such a good attitude. You'll be back in no time and then you'll have to come yeah. and run with us or we'll come and run with I know. you. We, I can't I know. believe I we live that. in, yes, we live in the same city and um you know we love to trail run as well and have some great trails where we live so we'll definitely have to to hook up and go for a run definitely i would love that yes um okay so what were you gonna say i was gonna ask her which ones are yeah i know we want to talk about in like that yeah like because you're like hollywood hills or or what what part of la yeah like like Griffith is always fun, but um, I would always go to the the um, Loma Alta Trail in Altadena and like run over to Echo Mountain and Inspiration Point. And then a lot of the longer um, trail runs would be um, going to the PCT. So like out near Agua Dulce and Palmdale area and um, just kind of do out and backs on, on the PCT, which was always a lot of fun. Great. So now those are those your two favorites? Would you, if someone was coming to LA, would you recommend them doing those two runs? Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely, I would say obviously Griffith trails is a lot easier and more accessible to get to if you're comfortable driving a half hour or an hour, um, you know, on the highway to get to these other ones. Yeah. You're definitely going to disconnect from the city. You're going to be in nature you're going to see beautiful things. Um, and I, I feel pretty safe there. So I, th- I, w- I would recommend it. That's what I love about our city. Like, and I know I've said this before, but people have this assumption in their mind that LA is, you know, concrete jungle and like cars everywhere. And like, it is so, be- there's so many beautiful places to explore. There's so many wonderful trails. So yeah. I, yeah. And I have not done either one of those that you recommended. So yeah. And then also Will Rogers State Park is another great, hopefully probably more accessible too. Um, that's always another alternative, like the Ray Miller Backbone Trail too is always fun. 
Yeah. That's where we are. We love doing the, all of that. So yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. Those are our, some of our favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Where you live in LA, do you have, if someone was coming to visit in your area, where would you recommend for them to go and refuel, get some good food afterwards? I would say birds on Franklin. That's definitely one of my favorites. Or it's pho. I'm definitely a big lover of pho and ramen. But yeah, I would say like those are my, my two favorite places. Awesome. What about sweets? If you have a little bit of a sweet tooth or just want to have a little something after dinner? I definitely love sprinkles. So sprinkles or Susie Cakes. I, I got to yes. have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> we are right there with yeah, you. Susie Cakes is always <laughs> in somebody's birthday party yeah, or I something. And just... Sometimes I see that just to grab a little treat mm-hmm. or sprinkles too. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Too. Sprinkles yep, is too. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now where you live, like in the Griffith park area, there's, there's so many places to explore, but if someone wanted a place to stay like a little hotel or, you know, something, boutique, boutique, bread and breakfast. Yeah. do you have any recommendations? There are tons of Airbnbs in the Los Feliz area, which is where my first part apartment was. And it's probably like, depending on where you are, it's like a quarter mile or half a mile to get into the main access point to get into the, to get into the park. And you'll be at the, the trails cafe, which has good coffee and good little treats before or after a walk or hike. But yeah, they definitely have some really great Airbnb options that are affordable that I've had fun stay at. Do you have a place that you love, like a place of interest where if someone came to LA, you're like, you can't leave without visiting this place or you have to go here. I think because I'm such like a, a lover of like dinosaurs and everything, it's always like the tar pits, the La Brea tar pits oh, yeah. is something that I'll always recommend. Um, I've been there a handful of times already and I'm just like always so fascinated with like what's there and um, some of the excavations that they're already currently like doing and everything. Definitely would recommend to Indian Alley, which is in downtown LA hmm. um, near the, the arts district. And so it's been this big alley that has tons of beautiful murals created by indigenous artists and, and, and peoples and just really is an incredible um, space to be in and really beautiful messages that are there. And that's all you have to do is type in Indian Alley. Um, it comes up as its own like little pinpoint on, the, on Google Maps too. Cool. I was going to say, how do we get there? How do we, how have we not done that? Because it's LA and there's just so much and so many pockets and (laughs) you have to have these conversations to learn some of these insider, you know, information. It's awesome. Well, I want to take our kids there for sure. They would love that. And it's a good, it's a piece of history that, you know, or just learn and and grow and just be involved in it. So yeah. yeah, Thank you, Jordan, for telling us. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend. Yeah. What about your favorite running store? run with us they're like the only ones that I've ever been to yeah or I just order online (laughs) (laughs) I hear you I like run with us they're they're really great and I met a lot of other like great running friends and other community members through them and they're they used to have like the or they now brought them back they're like weekend trail runs and like meetup times okay run with us so where are they near uh, Griffith Park they're in Pasadena and that's how I that's how I like learned about the Loma Alta trail up to Echo Mountain and inspiration point was that was like my first trail run in in LA with with a running group and so it was really it was a lot of fun that's cool okay um okay so (laughs) this is funny what's your favorite season in LA 
that's such a lot the same i would say winter um because i'm also like from you know south dakota and maine like i love winter and i love cold weather and so my partner and i are like always escaping during the fall and the winter time to like go camping go winter camping and snow camping up in mammoth or trying to find snow so we can cross-country ski or just like enjoy colder weather um but yeah i would say not in la like the fall is always like my favorite time of the year yeah which is kind of like fall everywhere else right well, except for the yeah. like except unless you go to the mountains to actual fine snow yeah <laughs> yep so before we let you go can you tell us at all about this amazing documentary film that you're doing with patagonia yeah so currently right now i am on on awesome and yaki um and have a pie lands indigenous lands here in arizona we're telling the story of Dr. Lydia Jennings, who is a soil scientist, just graduated with her PhD. And we're, we're telling a short film about her. And because of the pandemic, she wasn't able to graduate and have that special ceremony, you know, this big culmination of everything that's gone into her studies and a lot of sacrifices she had to make, um, you know, that was all gone. And so she found a really creative and beautiful way through running to commemorate this this you know celebration this moment um and so she ran a 50 mile prayer run on the arizona trail in march and so we were here in march filming that and interviewing and she dedicated it to 50 indigenous scientists that inspired her um past present and then also dedicated miles to you know our future indigenous scholars and this film is going to have a call to action to hopefully raise funds to go back to um, Native organizations that offer scholarships and can go back into the programming that can hopefully help, you know, dismantle these barriers, these limitations within institutions that definitely were not designed for Indigenous people of color um, to be able to benefit from. So hopefully this makes it more accessible. Hopefully it makes it so that our Native youth can see Lydia and be like, you know what, like I have every right to go to college. I have every right to get my education if I choose this path. And that I have every right to sit in that classroom and to go after my dreams. And so we're really excited to tell her story. So right now we're back in Arizona, um, filming some more interviews and some more landscapes and to really make this story the best that it can be. Um, and so hopefully it's gonna be launching, um, hopefully by, by the end of summer, hopefully fingers crossed, but it's just gonna be, it's gonna be a really beautiful story. And I hope that it hits at home for so many, especially runners. And I think it's also gonna really portray that message of what running with purpose is. You know, for so many, you don't have to be indigenous to connect to her story and to be able to resonate with her experiences. I think so many people will be able to um, resonate in some way with different parts of the story that's gonna be portrayed. Well, we can't wait cool. to see it. We will definitely promote it. Let us know. And uh, that sounds like a powerful and, and very moving story. I, I look forward to, to watching it and uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of the filming. Me too. It's gonna, hopefully it sets forth what my partner and I can do um, in creating these stories to continue a series, to be able to highlight so many different voices within the running community, within sports who are intersecting their love of what they do with their passion for advocacy and the things that they want to change or to improve or to fight for. Um, so we're, we're having running or any other movement 
um, being that messenger, that carrier to be able to elevate what's happening um, within their own life, within um, the communities that they're fighting for, standing with. And so we're hoping that this series can also have a big greater impact in terms of visibility of what's happening in our communities. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the very last question that we like to ask our guests is, if you could run anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Um, I think actually I would want to run in Peru. I've Peru has been like put into my life the last couple of years because of my partner and just seeing like his film that he's he was doing there and um, other stories of other indigenous like women hikers that went down there and seeing the stories and the photos there it just looks like absolutely amazing and I'm just like oh man I wonder what it'd be like to run there and um, being able to be surrounded by those landscapes and the history and um, being able to learn something new as well. I, I would just love to have that opportunity to be able to run there someday. Hmm. That's a really good yeah. choice. I, that's on my list, our list as yeah. well. Yep. <laughs> Sounds Maybe great. Maybe we can go together. I know. That yeah, would be awesome for sure. Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And we love just hearing a, a portion of your story. I know there's so much, you know, and just everything that you're doing. So thank you for being on. Yeah, Lila Palamaya, thank you so much for having me on. And hopefully we get to meet in real life soon, um, whether it's a run or whether it's for food or maybe a cupcake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All, All the above. above. <laughs> Sounds okay, Jordan, where can everybody find you so they can continue following yeah. your journey? Yeah, people can go to www.jordanmariedaniel.com and they can go to www.risinghearts.org to learn more about the organization that I founded and be part of the programming. And you can find me on Instagram at native in underscore LA and for rising hearts at rising underscore heart. All right, you guys, you we will put all of this in the show notes with links so you can click on and follow Jordan's journey. Jordan, thank you so much. And we will see you in LA very soon. Yeah, see you guys soon. And thank you again. This was Absolutely. an absolute pleasure. So glad we did this. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Jordan, thank you again for coming on the show. Your words were truly thought-provoking. Your passion for indigenous people everywhere is undeniable. We really enjoyed the way you use running to build community, pay respect to your heritage, and bring awareness to some of the challenges that indigenous people are facing today. Thank you again for some of your Los Angeles running gems that were new to us, and we're sure that our audience will enjoy the next time they visit LA. Come follow us at Sweet Run, Nat Runs Far, and on sweetrun.com. A huge thank you to our sponsors, Inside Tracker and Vacation Races. Use the code SWEETRUN to take 25% off of anything that Inside Tracker offers. Find out what's going on inside your body and change the way that you train and feel and become a better athlete with Inside Tracker. For vacation races, go to vacationraces.com. Vacation Races has over a dozen national park races to choose from with distances ranging from 5Ks and half marathons, or if you want to go the longer distance, 50 and 100 mile ultra marathons. They have some of the most beautiful locations in the country to choose from. 
definitely go to their website and check it out and go on a vacation. Go on a running vacation with Vacation Races. Join us next week for another great conversation with an awesome runner living in a great location. We'll see you then. We will see you then.